This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and I'm joined by EPFR's Director of Research, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what EPFR was looking at in the data we track last week, as well as what we look for in the upcoming weeks. Cam, you had quite a busy week this week working with some Montague leaders. Uh, what What's your insight? Just that they're... Uh you know, they're, uh, it was a good week. Um, you know, they uh, are willing uh, to, you know, admit the things that they don't know. Um, the, the fellow we were with um, you know, is particularly um, focused on improving processes within an organization. And <laughs> we all freely concede that there's always processes that could use a bit of a Washington press. So... Um, so it was a combination of educating him and sort of hearing his sort of first impressions about where we might reasonably get better quickly. Yeah, well, it's it's exciting to, you know, look forward to something for EPFR and see what the future holds. <laughs> True. And, and in return, I should be serenading you with you're leaving on a jet plane, but because <laughs> You're heading to London. <laughs> I am heading to London. Um, looking forward to uh, you know meeting some of the EPFR leaders over in the London office um, and have some great in-person meetings, which I'm not too familiar with so far here. So um, yeah, and, and likewise, hoping to develop some plans of action for, for the upcoming months and years. And you're going there at a, an interesting time, given the political turmoil and uh, the trouble that uh, the uh, British debt markets have had recently. Uh, in fact, enough trouble to sort of push China's Communist Party Congress off the front pages to some degree. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, well, I guess we can we can start by talking about emerging Asia. Um, there's lots of moving pieces there. Like you mentioned, uh, the speech from Chinese President Yi in the Communist Party's 20th National Congress shows little signs of big changes um, in the upcoming future. Um, U.S. chip restrictions being implemented are likely to stunt China's ability to deploy cutting-edge semiconductors and military tensions are mounting between North and South Korea. Uh, Now, Taiwan produces 65% of the world's supply of semiconductors and 90% of advanced chips. In terms of fund flows, when we compare the $1 billion that flowed in for technology sector funds last week and this week, five of the top 10 funds reporting inflows had semiconductor mandates last week, but this week that dropped down to two. Um, Flows into U.S. tech sector funds received the same level of interest as China tech this week. Um, The latter saw inflows climb to a 16-week high. And in the latest reporting week, we also saw flows into Taiwan equity funds outpace those of China equity funds. And 
we've seen China equity funds record the biggest inflows in cash terms in the nine months of this year, while Taiwan equity funds have taken the lead in relative terms. What's your insight? I mean, that's a lot to digest, but... (laughs) It is. Well, let's start with the semiconductor bit, because you're right, at the um, at the sort of sector and industry fund level, we didn't see the same level of concentrated interest we did last week. Um, but nevertheless, you could argue that a semiconductor still played a pretty major role in fund flows in that um, you know, four of the dedicated country fund groups, uh, the U.S., China, Korea, and Taiwan, uh, really account for, uh, you know, I'm guessing sort of 95 out of every 100 chips that are produced in the world at the moment. So uh, I don't think it went away. Um, and in some ways, certainly with Korea, it uh, and you could argue with Taiwan, uh, where they were digesting uh, Chinese uh, President Yi's reaffirmation that uh, China views it as a province that will at some point be re- reunited with the mainland, uh, that that interest in uh, semiconductors uh, trumped you know, pretty rough geopolitics political background noise. You know, Korea's been merrily, if that's the right word, shooting missiles uh, uh, and definitely sort of taking a more aggressive tone. Um, you know, Yi's uh, speech to the Congress was certainly here somewhat upstaged by the, the, the ongoing war in Europe and and the um, amazingly fast implosion of the latest iteration of Britain's conservative government. Um, But it was uh, was significant uh, nonetheless. Uh, We had definitely sort of heard going into it that some of the flows we were seeing to China equity funds were based on an assumption that uh, once he had secured his third term, that he would feel more comfortable um, easing back on some of his signature policies, most notably the zero COVID. Uh, and he <laughs> t- took the opportunity to, you know, draw a firm line in the sand there. And we did see, you know, while flows to China equity funds didn't turn negative, they definitely went off the boil uh, as people digested that. Um, uh, and the actual weekly total was, I think, the lowest since their current run of inflows began. So, um, but, you know, hey, people, I think, weren't entirely surprised at that. Anyone who has studied his career t- trajectory would know he's uh, got a man of firm opinions. Um, and, you know, that his political fo- philosophy certainly closes off a number of investment avenues, but uh, it also makes some things clearer. Uh, one of the things that you can usually tell in an author- authoritarian system uh, is which companies have the ear of the government and uh, are therefore likely you can – uh, bet on the government to some degree having their back. Um, 
you know, that said, on the fixed income side, uh, China bond funds had another rough week because a property developer that uh, many saw as having some degree of uh, official backing uh, defaulted on one of its offshore bonds. So, um, tying together all the threads there into a coherent investment policy uh program uh, is still not for the faint of heart. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I guess we'll we'll continue with the fixed income. So based what based on what I've read, I think investors are anticipating further rate hikes by the US Federal Reserve and European Central Bank um, pretty soon. Um, one opinion that I did read said that the aggressive front loading of rate hikes will slow at the beginning of next year. Do you see an end to the tightening story? Do you think it'll come that soon? That is one of those trillion dollar questions. Um, you know, certainly when I was at our MMX conference last week, uh, you know, there was a consensus that uh, the Fed's rate hikes would peak at four and a half percent, though there was a, you know, a serious minority who said there, there's a risk that it, it will have to go further. Um, I think the dilemma for many fixed income investors is that uh, while a lot of central banks are getting serious uh, about fighting inflation, um, the underlying political philosophies are that uh, you don't let companies go to the wall if you can stop it. Uh, you, you preserve employment come hell or high water. You know That's certainly been the direction of fiscal policy ever since the COVID pandemic and arguably even a bit before that. Um, you know, and we're seeing that again in Europe where uh, governments are scrambling to come up with fiscal packages that uh, protect um, you know, both business and consumers uh, you know, residential consumers from excessive energy price hikes. Um, so, um, you know, without going into a long-winded <laughs> exposition uh, on corporate dynamics, uh, you, one of the things that tends to happen when that philosophy is in the uh, uh, holding sway is that you get what's called zombie companies, which are, are companies that either through cheap money, which isn't so much the case now, or government support, uh, limp along even though they're frequently in a state of managed decline. Um, but they can keep the lights on and, and pay their workforce, which is what, you know, from the government perspective, <laughs> is the most important thing. Uh, but, you know, while they're doing that, they they um, take up market share and, uh, uh, and profit margins that will might otherwise allow more dynamic companies to to do a lot more. So, um, so but if you're not expecting creative de destruction, then you know how you allocate your money and and what credit quality really means becomes a much more complicated question. Uh, there's no doubt from the fund flows that investors are starting to pay more attention to credit quality, um, even though we're expecting more interest rate hikes, uh, floating rate funds, which are uh, a vehicle usually 
uh, frequently used to play um, rising short-term interest rates are seeing pretty relentless outflows, uh, which obviously doesn't have much to do with expectations. There'll be no further rate hikes. Uh, you know, what I've been reading and hearing is that it has a lot more to do with concerns of what is in the portfolios and how they'll cope with those higher rates. Um, but, um, you know, while the immediate uh, uh, issues are, are fairly clear and fairly stark, uh, sort of anyone who has to sort of navigate the, the, the fixed income market for, you know, a longer period is facing some complicated variables at the moment. So let's touch on um, Europe and UK equity funds quickly. Um, so, We've seen UK money market funds guide the headline number for the broader encompassing money market group into positive territory in the latest week. But most of the other asset classes have their lights dimmed, I think. Uh, UK equity posted a 17th weekly outflow and saw their heaviest monthly redemption on record in September. Um, flows out of UK bond funds climbed to a 12-week high in their current five-week outflow streak. And Europe equity funds extended a 36-week, $97 billion net outflow streak. What's your overview here? Well, the, you know, the attention at the moment is in, 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 on Britain, which is a, a liquid market and one that people pay uh, attention to. So, um, you know, there's been a, a lot of, of uh, enjoyable to read if questionable um, analyst commentary about how the UK is, is, is turning into uh, Italy and the North Sea. But, um, you know, I, my, my sense, honestly, is that in the long haul, the UK will be no worse off and may end up being better off than, than, than continental Europe. Uh, it still still has <coughs> assets, even if it, <coughs> the government seems determined not to use it, and it still has a very credible legal system, um, you know, a history of uh, allowing markets to work, though <laughs> that seems to be less and less the case. And, and, and Europe remains in, in a very tough situation. Uh, inflation uh, is at levels that really can't be politically tolerated, <clears throat> but there, the, the the economy and the, and the, the uh, uh, currency union that uses the euro uh, has very limited ability to absorb rate hikes without real cracks and stresses uh, occurring. Um, and we are, I think, heading into the crunch point uh, in terms of the broader implications for the Ukraine war, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, that assumes Russia doesn't turn to nuclear, but let's work on that assumption for the moment. But, you know, Russia's you know, strategic uh, goal is pretty clear, which is to sort of extend the conflict into winter and hope that the pain of dealing with that without Russian gas will um, start shaving away uh, the, the the support that, that Ukraine has enjoyed and used very effectively to blunt uh, the Russian push. So, um, so it's going to be it's going to be a tough winter. Um, 
I th- and I think the energy, even though there's been sort of I th- impressive reaction in terms of building up supplies and uh, turning a, uh, a blind eye to some green target so that coal can work its way back into the short-term equation, uh, not seeing very much on the conservation side, which you know I think should arguably be a much bigger goal and and sort of providing all these subsidies doesn't give people an incentive to change their ways i mean it's definitely vitally important for people at the lower end of the income scale uh but um you know they usually aren't the people who really use the energy it's it's you and you and i and people further up the income ladder and you know if the government's kind of keeping a cap on the price it it uh, makes it harder to think about what you need to do to um use less so we'll so we'll see i mean uh you and I are going to have no shortage of stuff to talk about. I think <laughs> through to, through through this winter and into next spring. Definitely not. <laughs> I think uh, these podcasts keep keep getting a little bit longer, but in in a good way. Huh? There's there's lots of things to talk about, and we have great discussions. So great. All right. Well, thank you, Cam. Good. Well. F- fly safe um thank you we actually need to work out if we'll sort of conduct this transatlantic next week or whether somebody will step into your shoes for (laughs) for a week but uh, we will be back we will all right bye thanks for listening to the epfr exchange podcast for more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast please visit epfr.com slash podcast 